love endures forever. We thank you, Father, that you sent your one and only Son, Jesus, Oh, how great is your love, God. And it's only through Christ that we are reconciled with you, that we are at peace with you. So as we open your word today, Father, I pray, God, that we would be attentive to your Holy Spirit, whom you've given us, God, to be our comforter, to be our guide, to be your teacher, God in us, living through us, to bear witness of the resurrected King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus. And we thank you again for the opportunity to gather. In Jesus' name, amen. Second Corinthians, I mean, no, 1 Corinthians, chapter 4, verse 20. The kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk, but it's living by God's power. Not just a lot of talk. We just can't be a religious people. We have to be a people who truly truly have called upon the name of the Lord Jesus and it's only through him that we are saved. That we have been, as Jesus describes it, born again, afresh and anew. We're of a new nature. We're not of the old. In fact, as Christians, we recognize and the truth has already been established or should have been established in our hearts because it's this truth that sets us free, the Word of God says. That we have been born again, that this old nature has been nailed to his cross. The desires of this world we have no longer, and the world's desires and us is of no more. We're not of this world any longer. We're not seeking the temporal things of this life to find our value. Because in Christ, we've been made whole. That's the good news, you all. We're no longer broken people. Though there's days and there's seasons and there's hours in our lives where we feel it. (laughs) But we're not to be moved or swayed by the temporalness of life. I can live based on the temporal circumstances, the temporal feelings, the temporal desires, but nothing good will come. As Christians, we're called to live by faith and not by sight. And by faith, we believe. By faith, we confess the word of God. By faith, we are seeking him, as we talked about last week, with our whole heart, knowing that if we seek him, we will find him. And that we are to seek him while he may still be found. God is still moving among the earth, awakening people to his truth. And we already recognize that the day and age in which we are living, and as the day and age continues until his reappearing, they're only going to get darker. But we, as the church, are to continue to grow brighter. Like we must allow ourselves to mature in the knowledge of who he is, so that knowledge is then applied to our lives so we can walk in wisdom. But listen, we're not just to be a hearer of the word, we'd be a doer of the word. We're just not just to talk, we are people just about talking it. No, we're to be people living it, not by our doing, but by God's doing. 
Remember, from the beginning, and we know this because we've heard it for years now, as we're opening the Word, and I, and I challenge you to open up your Word. God's purpose and plan is to have a people that He will call His own, and in return, they will call Him their God. They will live for Him. They will abide with Him. And in Christ, we're not striving to, to do to be right with God, because under the new covenant, Christ has made us right. It's all Him. None of us. So that's how we're to live our lives. Lives yielded to Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. So that we're just not a people who do a lot of talking about God, but that we are people living it, experience the fullness of His power in and through us. This life can be lived. This newness of life can be lived. You can consider yourself dead and alive in Christ. You don't have to go around the same mountain, the same woundings, the same hurts, the same entrapments to sin, because sin is not to be your master. Christ is righteousness, right standing with God. You can get up every day encouraging yourself, and you ought to be encouraging yourself into what is truth. Truth in Christ. You should set your day. By the time your eyes open, you take that breath in the morning and begin there and then throughout your day confessing that which you know to be true. Because everything in this world and everything within you, the old nature and the kingdom of darkness is charging at you trying to make you to forget what is true. And so we must be a people who can stand. And then stand therefore then, not in and of our own strength, but dressed for battle, like Ephesians 6 talks about, and then knowing that the battle is not ours, it's his. And he's already won. So we, we're, not, we're not taking the, the position of a victim. No, we are to take a position of a victor. The victory has already been won. So stand, and stand in confidence of who Christ is and what he's accomplished. Because remember our bold confession and our belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he rose from the dead. He has defeated sin and death. Just that confession and that belief, you're saved. Salvation comes. You're born again. And now you're to live it out to live it out you're going to have troubles you're going to have trials in this world but remember what Jesus says be of good cheer for I've already overcame the world and I keep encouraging us that you're waking up each day behind enemy lines so don't get comfortable in the territory of the enemy no you're to be about your father's business you have an enemy and as, as just as he and the world are, are your enemies you're its enemy. And you have to realize that you're not going to be among the world. You're not, you're, you're, you're not going to be welcomed because you bear the name and the image of Christ. And Christ himself said that if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. In fact, when they drag you out and kill you, they're going to think they're doing it in my name. 
So we have to wake up to the understanding of who Christ is and who we are. So that we're not just the people who are just a lot of talk about God, but that we're people who are living through his power. Leviticus chapter 15 is where we're heading, and we're going to read through chapter 16, verse 28. It's a lot of reading. And again, the whole point of this is to really see the importance of how God is setting a people for himself. These other nations were living however they want, doing whatever they want. They, they were dealing with all the things that we're hearing God lay out for the Israelites to do. They were doing it differently. But you see, God takes it very serious. Sickness, disease, uncleanliness. Like God is giving us this picture. He's establishing these rules, if you would, for his people. But what we're looking at as we're going through Scripture is, remember, we're seeking God in the midst of these Scriptures, Jesus. All of these rules, all of the laws, everything of the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. That's what you have to remember as you're reading through. When we look at the seriousness of what God is saying to his people, what God is declaring to his people, He doesn't want defilement among them. He doesn't want sin defiling, because that's the greatest sickness. That's the greatest defilement. Now, these diseases and these sicknesses and these um, things that we're going to read about today, quote-unquote, not sin, but it's a picture of it. That if these things are to remain among a community of a people, it can make everyone sick. And so what's the greatest defilement? What's the greatest sickness? Sin. And if sin is allowed to remain among the people of God, it'll make others sick. And that's why I keep encouraging y'all, think of the scripture where it says that the only people that we're not to have anything to do with is people who say they're Christians and don't live like them and, don't, and doesn't live like one. We're not called to, to not have anything to do with the world. No, we're, we're to be among them. We're, we're to be the light among them. But we can't allow sin to master the church because it pollutes, it distorts what God has done and what he's doing. And so we must take sin in our own personal lives and the sin of the community within the church serious. It must be dealt with. And as we're seeing, as God is dealing with the physical ailments, the physical sicknesses and stuff, every time we see it flare up and they're set out, there's always a way back. And that was the beauty of last week is that they are first restored to God and then they're restored to the community. And that's the whole picture of God, you all, restoration. And there's another encouragement you could take as you're reading through the book of Leviticus, is to see that God doesn't live the sick out. He always makes a way back. And this is the God in whom we can serve and, and we can worship and we can say, thank you, Lord, that you didn't leave me in the state of unworthiness, of sickness, of disease, of sin, being mastered by sin. 
but that God, you've made a way through Christ, through Jesus, for me to be restored back to you. And in being restored back to God, I'm restored to a community of believers who will encourage me, who will edify me, who would build me up. I don't have to pretend to have it all together. I don't have to pretend. I don't have to work so hard to be with God and to be with the community. No, I can just come as I am. And I can know that in the midst of this, I'm going to be loved. I'm going to be encouraged. I'm going to be held accountable. And I'm not going to draw away and pull away and think everyone's judging me. You know, no, I'm going to be humbled. Because I know I can't live apart from God if I'm not, I can't live apart from God, I can't live apart from the community. I need God and I need my brothers and sisters to walk this road leading to home. So walking it together, you all. And so community is important. Your relationship God is the utmost important, important. And this is what we're looking at. Sin, defilement, Everything that pulls us out of his presence and out from the community, God wants it restored. And that's the beauty of these, the picture that we're seeing here. These people being purified. The priests were busy, you all. I don't know. The the priests back in those days, they had a lot to do. They were constantly covered with blood. I mean, that's some hard work. And as I've been thinking about that, so it is with Christians. Just don't leave it to the path. People who have a title of pastor or an evangelist or an intercessor. No. If you're a Christian, you have been engrafted into the royal priesthood. And there's work to be done. Now, we're not out there, you know, sacrificing all the animals. But we must be out there serving our God representing him with how we're living and being available for others. That's the important part. Seeing people restored to God. So here we go, chapter 15, then through chapter 16, verse 28. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. Any man who has a bodily discharge is ceremonially unclean. This defilement is caused by his discharge. Whether the discharge continues or stops, in either case the man is unclean. Any bed on which the man with the discharge lies and anything on which he sits will be ceremonially unclean. So if you touch the man's bed, you must wash your clothes and bathe yourself in water and you will remain unclean until evening. If you sit where the man with the discharge has sat, you, will, you must wash your clothes and bathe yourself in water and you will remain unclean until evening. If you touch the man with the discharge, you must wash your clothes and bathe yourself in water and you will remain unclean until evening. If the man spits on you, you must wash your clothes and bathe yourself in water and you will remain unclean until evening. Any saddle blanket on which the man rides will be ceremonially unclean. If you touch anything that was under the man and you sorry, if you touch anything that was under the man, you will be unclean until evening. 
You must wash your clothes and bathe yourself in water, and you will remain unclean until evening. If the man touches you without first rinsing his hands, you must wash your clothes and bathe yourself in water, and you will remain unclean until evening. Any clay pot the man touches must be broken, and any wooden utensil he touches must be rinsed with water. When the man with the discharge is healed, he must count all seven days for the period of purification. Then he must wash his clothes and bathe himself in fresh water, and he will be ceremonially clean. On the eighth day, he must get two turtle doves or two young pigeons and come forth, I'm sorry, come before the Lord at the entrance of the tabernacle and give his offerings to the priests. The priests will offer one bird for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. Through this process, the priest will purify the man before the Lord for his discharge. So again, we see that one who is infected or one who, in, in this incident, this man who is having this discharge, and a lot of commentaries are relating this to gonorrhea. So it, it is a disease that, that, that he's infecting everything. Everything he sits on, everything he touches, anyone who touches him. I mean, you name it. It's, it's, everything's getting defiled. And so again, we see this as a physical sickness. But again, I need you to see it in our understanding as sin. If you let sin in just a little foothold, if you give the enemy a little foothold, the Bible says he's going to develop a stronghold. And remember what a stronghold is. A stronghold is an area of thought that you're processing that you believe that is contrary to God's truth. And if you're living a life, if you're thinking a lie, as you think so you go, you're no longer free because you don't have truth, and so now you're enslaved again. And then guess what? As you're walking enslaved, as you're walking lukewarm, as you're walking, you're just going about, others are seeing, and now all of a sudden you're starting to contaminate others. Well, look what they're getting away with. Well, they say they're a Christian. Look what they can do. Well, I guess it doesn't really matter, you know. And then all of a sudden, it's affecting everyone. It's affecting the community. It's affecting the church. It's affecting life. And that's not what God is calling us to. We need to see that sin, just even a little, oh, I can get away with this much. No, like you shouldn't even play with it. Like, you should recognize it. No, I don't have to go this way. I don't have to keep thinking this way. I don't have to keep doing this. Again, your, your Christian life is, a, is not about perfection, you all. Uh, we're not teaching Christian perfectionism. No one's expecting anyone to be perfect. But what we are expecting is maturity. Like, we need to grow. We need to grow up. We need to allow our roots to grow down deep into Christ. So that we can be his people of this generation. And that we can pass it on to the next generation. And the next generation. And the next generation. We just don't cower down to that which is unclean. No, we must stand for truth and for righteousness. We go on here, verse 16. 
Whenever a man has an emission of semen, he must bathe his entire body in water, and he will remain ceremonially unclean until the next evening. Any clothing or leather with semen on it must be washed in water, and it will remain unclean until evening. After a man and a woman have sexual intercourse, they must each bathe in water, and they will remain unclean until the next evening. Whenever a woman has her menstrual period, she will be ceremonially unclean for seven days. Anyone who touches her during that time will be unclean until evening. Anything on which the woman lies or sits during the time of her period will be unclean. If any of you touch her bed, you must wash your clothes and bathe yourself in water, and you will remain unclean until evening. If you touch any object she has sat on, you must wash your clothes and bathe yourself in water, and you will remain unclean until evening. This includes her bed or any other object she has sat on. You will be unclean until evening if you touch it. If a man has sexual intercourse with her and her blood touches him, her menstrual impurity will be transmitted to him. He will remain unclean for seven days, and any bed on which he lies will be unclean. If a woman has a flow of blood for many days that is unrelated to her menstrual period, or if the blood continues beyond the normal period, she is is ceremonially unclean. As during her menstrual period, the woman will be unclean as long as the discharge continues. Any bed she lies on and any object she sits on during that time will be unclean, just as during her normal menstrual period. If any of you touch these things, you will be ceremonially unclean. You must wash your clothes and bathe yourself in in water and you will remain unclean until evening when the woman's bleeding stops she must count off seven days then she will be ceremonially clean on the eighth day she must bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons and present them to the priest at the entrance of the tabernacle the priest will offer one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering through this process the priest will purify her before the Lord for the ceremonial impurity caused by her bleeding. This is how you will guard the people of Israel from ceremonial uncleanliness. Otherwise, they would die, for their impurity would defile my tabernacle that stands among them. There are the instruments for dealing with anyone who has a bodily discharge. These are the instructions I'm sorry, for dealing with anyone who has a bodily discharge. A man who is unclean because of an an emission of semen or a woman during her menstrual period. It applies to any man or woman who has a bodily discharge and to a man who has sexual intercourse with a woman who is ceremonially unclean. This is God, you all. And listen, don't miss out on verse 31. This is God speaking. This is how you will guard the people of Israel from ceremonial uncleanliness. Otherwise, they would die. For their impurity would defile my tabernacle that stands among them. Don't miss that. With all the other language and all the other stuff that we're reading, don't miss that. Remember, this is why he's doing it. These are his people. He has set them aside. All the other nations can do and do whatever. All the other nations can get away with being unclean. All these other nations can do whatever. And they'll they'll survive and they'll live. 
and they'll die at some point. But this is God's people. Look at what he says here. This is how you will guard the people of Israel from ceremonially uncleanliness. Otherwise they would die, for their impurity would defile my tabernacle that stands among them. God's presence cannot be defiled. He has standards set in place. And it doesn't mean that any of this, again, is caused by sin. Or even if you want to talk about sexual intercourse, as God has designed sex, sex is good for how God has designed it between a husband and a wife. Can people have sex and do anything else they want? Of course they can. They can have sex with whoever they want, whatever they want. They can live and do whatever they want, but that's not honoring God. Remember, the enemy comes to distort what God has given. And what God has created and what God gives, it's good. So when you're reading the scripture, it's it's not a it's not an insult. It's not a it's not a to make a sexual um, encounters with a, with a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, bad. But during this time, what he was dealing with was this uncleanliness that was taking place. And so he was making sure that his people were remaining pure so that they can come into his presence. And so that's them. What about us today in the new covenant for those who are in Jesus? We don't follow these rules and laws. But the rule and the law and the understanding doesn't go away. As we're talking about sin... Like, you just can't carry it in and think it's okay. And that's the problem with the Christian church nowadays. Is that we're being mastered by sin. And then we're coming into his presence as if it doesn't mean anything. God's holiness has not changed. God's desire for his people to be holy did not change because Jesus came. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, it tells you, do you know why we are to read about the Israelites? So that we understand how serious God takes his covenant with his people. The Bible says it was easier living under this law, the old law, than it is under the new law. But you don't hear that preached in churches. See, the enemy has infiltrated the church stripping down the gospel, making Jesus' blood as if it's common, it doesn't mean anything. There's no power in the resurrected Christ. And so we gather really for no reason, but just to do a lot of talking. But that's not the Christian life. No, we believe in a resurrected God who transforms sinners from being unrighteous to those who are righteous. Not perfect. So don't misunderstand that. If there's sin in your life, you know you're doing wrong. You know what's the common thing for all of us when it happens? We want to hide. We don't want anyone else to know. Because what are they going to think of me? And we surely don't want God to know because, oh, what's God going to think? God already knows. And to be honest, the majority of the people around you already know. Because sin affects you. And it's going to come out one way or another. 
but sin must be dealt with. And what's the only way to deal with sin? Come to Jesus. God, I need your help. I can't, I can't get free from this. Whatever it may be. God, help me. And you go to a brother and sister and you confess it. The Bible says in James, if you confess your sin to God and to man, you will be made whole, healed. What's the point of confessing what you're going through to others so that you can be held accountable? Iron sharpens iron. We all have stuff that we're dealing with. And so we're not to live these closed off lives like, and then pretend that we're perfect. Oh, look, my life is perfect. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Look at me. Everything's glorious. No, that's not the Christian life. The Christian life is you're enduring. You're going through. Brother, sister, this is what I'm going through. I'm not going to live in darkness. I'm not going to hide things in my heart. I'm not going to pretend I'm right when I'm not. I'm going to be transparent. First before God and then before man. And I don't care what you think of me. Because I don't want to be enslaved. The problem is, is we're thinking too much of what others are going to think of us. And we're remaining enslaved. And all along God is going, would you just come to me? Would you just trust me? Because I know you. Remember what we read last week? I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. But seek me and you will find me. If you seek me with your whole heart, do not let sin hinder you from God. He knows our, our nature. Our, our old nature is sinful. It's in rebellion towards God. We stand with our fist up and we say, you're not God, I'm going to do me, I'm going to live however I want. And he says, go at it. But in the end, that was your choice. And that's not how it should be. No, you're to receive Christ, confess and believe. And in that, be healed, be restored. Walk with your God. Know your God. Stand for your God. You say, well, others want to make fun of me. So what? So what? Stand for what is true and what is right. And help other captives find freedom. Because this is only one life you have. <laughs> and this world is not your home. You're here today and you're gone tomorrow into eternity. It's what you do with today that counts for eternity's sake. And all God is concerned with is, do you know his son? Do you love Jesus? Are you following Jesus? Are you walking with Jesus? Because he's the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Remember, it's the enemy that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And look at the world. Look at the condition of the world. Everything is increasing rapidly, 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 rapidly. Things are getting more godless. Other religions are coming to the forefront. You don't think the enemy is pouring out because he knows his time is near. But that shouldn't shatter the church. That shouldn't shake the church. No, that should make us stand with the assurance that God, this is all true. I keep telling you, I've studied many different religions. I, I, I practiced many different religions, thinking that they were the way, they were the truth. It all seemed to make sense in that, in that moment. But yet there was something still missing. 
And now the most craziest thing is, is if you really sit down, you open, and you start reading this word that was written by all these different men because they were inspired by the Holy Spirit, all from different generations, and yet it ties all together perfectly to reveal what's happening and what's to come. Who can do that? No man can. Only God, you all. Oh, so we must wake up to the reality that, oh God, you're real. And either I can continue to live in rebellion towards you, or I can receive this love that you've given me through your son Christ. I don't have to work to be right with you. I can just receive. And I hope to God you all are receiving it. Because there's no other way you all. I mean, again, these other nations, and you today in this generation can go live however you want. You have a right. People have a right to live however they want. They have a right. But God's people... God's people, if you're counting yourself among God's people, well, then you better know your God. He is holy. He is right and he is just. And he says, abide in me. Remain in me. Chapter 16 of Leviticus, going through verse verse 28. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of Aaron's two sons who died after they entered the Lord's presence and burned the wrong kind of fire before him. The Lord said to Moses, Warn your brother Aaron not to enter the most holy place behind the inner curtain whenever he chooses. If he does, he will die. For the ark's cover, the place of atonement, is there. And I myself am present in the cloud above the atonement cover. When Aaron enters the sanctuary area, he must follow these instructions fully. He must bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He must put on his linen tunic and the linen undergarments worn next to his body. He must tie the linen sash around his waist and put the linen turban on his head. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself in water before he puts them on. Aaron must take from the community of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron will present his own bull as a sin offering to purify himself and his family, making them right with the Lord. Then he must take the two male goats and present them to the Lord at the entrance of the tabernacle. He is to cast sacred lots to determine which goat will be reserved as an offering to the Lord and which will carry the sins of the people to the wilderness of Azir. Aaron will then present as a sin offering the goat chosen by Lot for the Lord. The other goat, the scapegoat chosen by Lot to be sent away, will be kept alive standing before the Lord. When it is sent away to Azil in the wilderness, the people will be purified and look, made right with the Lord. Aaron will present his own bull as a sin offering to purify himself and his family, making them right with the Lord. After he has slaughtered the bull as a sin offering, he will fill an incense burner with burning coals from the altar that stands before the Lord. Then he will take two handfuls of the fragrant powder incense and will carry the burner and in, in, in the incense behind the inner curtain. There in, there in the Lord's presence, he will put the incense on the burning coals so that a cloud of incense will rise over the ark 
cover and the, I'm sorry, the place of atonement that rests on the Ark of the Covenant. If he follows these instructions, if he follows these instructions, he will not die. Then he must take some of the blood of the bull, dip his fingers in it, finger in it, and sprinkle it on the east side of the atonement cover. He must sprinkle blood seven times with his finger in front of the atonement cover. Then Aaron must slaughter the first goat as a sin offering for the people and carry its blood behind the inner curtain. There he will sprinkle the goat's blood over the atonement cover and in the front of it, just as he did with the bull's blood. Through this process, he will purify the most holy place, and he will do the same for the entire tabernacle because of the defiling sin and rebellion of the Israelites. No one else is allowed inside the tabernacle when Aaron enters it for the purification ceremony in the most holy place. No one may enter until he comes out again after purifying himself, his family, and all the congregation of Israel, making them right with the Lord. Then Aaron will come out to purify the altar that stands before the Lord. He will do this by taking some of the blood from the bull and the goat and putting it on each of the horns of the altar. Then he must sprinkle the blood with his finger seven times over the altar. In this way, he will cleanse it from Israel's defilement and make it holy. When Aaron has finished purifying the most holy place in the tabernacle and the altar, he must present the live goat. He will lay both of his hands on the goat's head and confess over it all the wickedness, rebellion, and sins of the people of Israel. In this way, he will transfer the people's sins to the head of the goat. Then a man specifically chosen for the task will drive the goat into the wilderness. As the goat goes into the wilderness, it will carry all the people's sins upon itself into a desolate land. When Aaron goes back into the tabernacle, he must take off the linen garments he was wearing when he entered the most holy place, and he must leave the garments there. Then he must bathe himself with the water in a sacred place, put on his regular garments, and go out to sacrifice a burnt offering for himself and a burnt offering for the people. Through this process, he will purify himself and the people, making them right with the Lord. He must then burn all the fat of the sin offering on the altar. The man chosen to drive the scapegoat into the wilderness of Azil must wash his clothes and bathe himself in water. Then he may return to the camp. The bull and the goat presented as sin offerings whose blood Aaron takes into the most holy place for the purification ceremony will be carried outside the camp. The animal's hides, internal organs, and dung are all to be burned. The man who burns them must wash his clothes and bathe clothes and bathe himself in water before returning to the camp. Wow. That's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. But it had to be done. Because did you hear the constant theme over it? That the people would be made right with God, you all. I mean ultimately this is what it's about. Even then in the Old Testament and underneath the Old Covenant God was concerned that his people were made right with him. He knew in and of himself they couldn't do it. So all of these sacrifices, all of these terms were being laid out. But remember, all of those that we just read points to Jesus. Because ultimately, he took upon our sins. He took the wrath of God for us. 
I heard an incredible teaching the other day. And go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 7, because that's where we're heading. But the, the pastor was talking about when Jesus was in the garden crying out to God, take this cup from me. You know why he was crying that out? Do you know why he was sweating like drops, the Bible says, of blood? Remember, Jesus knew the cross was his purpose even before he came. He knew it. Because remember, the cross was purpose even before the earth was formed. All of this being displayed and talked about now is pointing to the cross, to the Lamb that would come to be our final sacrifice. Jesus is our high priest. There's no greater or highest priest than Jesus. Do you know why he was crying out? God, take this cup from me. If it could be, take it from me. Do you know what he was so, you know, droppings of blood, I mean, just the stress of it all. It wasn't the cross. It was God's wrath. Because there are people who are nailed to the cross, this pastor was saying. And there have been. They were crucified to a cross because they were Christians. And they sung while they were on it, worshiping God. There's persecuted brothers and sisters who, who are dying for their faith, and yet they, they consider it joy. So Jesus wasn't concerned and stressed about the cross, the physical punishment. No, what he knew he had to endure was what you should have endured and what I should have endured, God's wrath. God's wrath, you all. See, it's because of Jesus that you would never have to experience it. And so how can we be flippant about our Christian faith as if it's nothing? Oh, we better wake up. The devil has done a lot of deceiving in the church. We better wake up that you're not to be flippant with God, with Jesus. No, you're to honor him. Like, God, you did that for me? Like, no other love, no one will ever do that for you. But God himself did. He knew we were rebellious towards him. He knew we didn't want anything to do with him. And yet he comes. And he says, I'm going to make a way out. But it has to be through me. Jesus took the wrath of God for you. And that's why I've always encouraged y'all. Why would you trade his love for his wrath? Why would, why, what on earth, on this earth of temporal desires and temporalness would say would, that we would come in agreement and say, oh, this is better than God's love, so I'd rather do this. It's ludicrous. There's nothing of this temporal earth that is worth facing the wrath of God. Remember the psalm I keep encouraging us about from years ago. When the psalmist says, this is what the Lord says, oh, you thought it was okay to do what you were doing because you didn't hear me, basically. I didn't respond to, to what you were doing. So you figured I must be okay with it. But then God says, uh, no, no, no. I'm coming for you. 
and I'm going to tear you apart. See, we don't like to think of God that way. But those who will face God's wrath, that's exactly what's going to happen. They have denied him. They have said in their hearts, you are not God. And so, no, no, no. They're not going to face the love of God. They're going to face the wrath of God for all eternity. For all eternity. For why? For why? When God came down and took it for us and said, you don't have to experience this, Rob. I love you. That's what he says to each of you. Like, I love you. Like, I've got you. You're only here just for a short time. I've got you. Stay with me. Stay with me. Stay with me. And then I'm going to use you to, to, to boldly proclaim me so that other people can know the truth and they can share in the inheritance of the good news of the gospel. That God came to save you. This is what we're talking about, y'all. And that's why you can't be flippant with it. You're either a Christian or you're not. You either believe or you don't. But oh, that I pray that you would believe and know that he is God. Like Jesus knew what he was about to face, the wrath of God. And he knew that after facing it, that he would be resurrected. But just the very fault of the wrath God, if this cup can be taken, if there's any other way. But then he says, but not my will. Your will be done. And then he got up from that garden. And he went to the cross. He endured the wrath. He was buried in a tomb. And three days later, boom, he came out. <laughs> Sin and death, the very things that held you hostage and prisoner is defeated. So that's what I'm saying. Like for you to continue just to be flippant, for you just to continue to go, oh, I'm going to do me, I'm going to do me. Do you realize you're yoking yourself to something that's been defeated? You're, you're giving yourself this, to powers and rulers and desires that have been stripped So don't think if that's the way you're going to go that you're going to be able to say, oh, oh, but Jesus, I didn't know. No, you knew. You just chose what you thought was best for you. Be careful of your choices. Because remember, as you think, so you go. That's why the Bible says, how does he transform us? By changing the way we think. We know what's right and what's wrong. We all know. In and, in and of our inner being, we know. Like, oh, I shouldn't do that. But boy, it looks good. I'm just going to do it. What's it going to hurt? Oh, it's going to hurt. Because just a little will take you captive. That's why even back in the book of Genesis, it says sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is to master you. Oh, but you must master it. And God is for us. That's what I'm seeing. Like, if you don't get up every day and start declaring that you are a victor, that you have victory, you're not a victim of your circumstances anymore. 
In Christ, you are a victor. You are freed. So learn to live as one who has been freed. You won't know the fullness of your freedom until you stand before him face to face. But until then, get up every day and if all you say is, I'm free, (laughs) and go through your day reminding yourself, I'm free. I don't have to be led astray by what I'm seeing or what I'm feeling. No, I I can learn to know what it is to be free. That I just don't have to react or to give myself. No, I can learn to walk in self-control. To have peace, to have hope, to have joy. To, have, to be patient, to be kind. You know, this is the way in which we're supposed to be living. Mark chapter 7, verse 1 through 23. The religious folks are back to challenging Jesus. 1 through 23. One day, some Pharisees and teachers of the religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand-washing before eating. The Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands, as required by their ancient traditions. Similarly, they don't, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. This is but one of many traditions they have clung to, such as their ceremonial washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law asked him, Why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. And Jesus replied, Oh, y'all need to get excited about Jesus and how he replies. He's not this weak-willed man. No, these religious people, these men of Israel, these religious leaders who were teaching the Israelites about God were actually keeping them from God. See, if your Christian life is nothing but a list of rules and laws, oh, I have to go to church. Oh, I have to do good. Oh, I can't do this. Oh, I can't. Then you don't know Jesus. <laughs> because that's not how Christians think. That's how religious people think. See, people who are walking in Christ, in the fullness of Christ, and understand that they have been liberated, that they have been free, you're not burdened every day like, oh, I can't go this. I can't touch that. Oh, God's going to get me. No, no, no. You walk free. Because you're in Christ. And you go, no, I don't need to go that way because everyone's going that way. No, I don't need to talk that way because that's the popular way to talk. No, I don't need to do this and do this because I'm free and it's okay. I'm not missing anything by not doing it because I have everything that I need already. See, it's a different mindset. I'm in Christ. I can enjoy the fruit of my labor. I can enjoy life. I'm going to have life in the abundance. I can trust him in any circumstance, in any situation, and even in times when life is pressing up against me, because life will be hard for a Christian. Even when temptation is trying to overrule my heart and my mind, I can remember that the Word of God says that he makes a way out. So I'm looking up. God, get me out of this. But if I make it about rules, if I make it about laws, if I just make it about tradition, if I just keep doing just because that's just what I do and that's just what I was told to do, then it's not a relationship. 
And this, this was the problem of these religious people. They were so consumed with tradition, they were so consumed with laws, that they stopped being consumed with God. Just loving on Him and receiving from Him and following Him in obedience. Jesus replied, You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideals as commands from God. For you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. Then he said, you skillfully step aside God's law in order to hold on to your tradition. For instance, Moses gave this law from God, honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. But you say it is all right for people to say to their parents, Sorry, I can't help you, for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. And this way, you let them disregard their needy parents. And so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. And this is only one example among many. That's important. He's exposing, and first of all, they're not the only ones listening to Jesus. The people are listening. He says, you're doing away with what God desires to follow what you want to get your way. Not to honor God. You're doing it the way you want to do it. And you think you look right with God. But in reality, you're a hypocrite. And not only are you a hypocrite, but the prophet Isaiah, he talked about you. You were the ones he was talking about. Then Jesus called the crowd to come and hear. All you listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. Then Jesus went to a house to get away from the crowd, and his disciples asked him what he meant by the parable he had just used. Don't you understand either, he asked. Can you see that the food you put into your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. By saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. And then he added, it is what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what the File you. Listen to his teaching. And the Bible is very clear. Where does sin come from? From inside. From your heart. Remember, I've always told you, do you want to know if you're in right relationship with God? Listen to your mouth. Listen to your thoughts. Because what's coming out is what's here. Oh, there's no, there's, you can pretend to be religious all you want. 
go to church every day, do this, do that, praise God, hallelujah, do your posts, go, oh, God's good, God's good. See, we got to be careful, and I've warned you, don't be careful when churches, no matter what the denominations are, try to make tradition or try to make law what's important. Because they're actually the tool of the devil. And I know that upsets people. But you must remember, there is an enemy trying to deceive as many as he can so that they will go to hell with him. So he's teaching heresy. We are warned all through the New Testament. The wolves are among us. We must know what is right and what is wrong. Just because a man or a woman is saying it doesn't make it right. Is it in God's word? There are religious institutions, there are churches that tell you, this isn't good, this isn't good. You can't eat this, you can't eat that. You have to do it this way, you have to do it that way. It's this way or no way, it's this, it's this. You need to be this way, you need to act. It's a mess. And it's confusing people. And it's leading people to hell. And there's good people sitting there day in and day out. They just want to be right with God. So just show me, I'll do whatever. And yet they're not right with God they will end up in an eternal hell. And you say, but how is that right? No, it is right. It's just. Because they sought for man. They didn't seek for God. You tell me how I'm supposed to live. Listen, if, you're, if your religion is based on what man is telling you, something is wrong. You should seek God for yourself while he may be found. Yes, men preach and yes, women teach. And we are encouraged by each other, but we just don't take for what you're saying as, oh, Pastor, that's, that's what it is. Oh, no, you better open the word yourself. Because you remember the early church? Before the Reformation, the members couldn't have the Bible. And that's how they enslaved the people. Give us your money. You had to give the, the church everything just to get something. And then they made up this weird thing of purgatory. The church needed money, so they said, hey, we'll create this thing called purgatory where you come and you give us money and we will pray for your loved ones to get out of so they don't go to hell. And do you know the millions of people who believe that and give money to these institutions that are nothing but led by Satan himself? They look godly. They look right. But they're not. Do you know how much youth, do you know how many people send their, their kids to these institutions? And the kids aren't learning about Jesus. Remember, whenever tradition or law is held up above Christ, rebellion comes. Rebellion comes. Because the law and traditions will never lead you to Christ. It's too heavy of a load to carry. I can't do this. It's too much. And so this looks better. Oh, this makes sense. Oh, this is the meaning of life. This is the way. That's not the way. And so people, all they hear is blah, 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 blah. It's just too much. I don't know. It's Instead of hearing the message of Christ, the message of freedom, the message of hope, Jesus is saying, listen, it is what, not what goes in, it's what comes out. 
It's what comes out that defiles you. And his desire is that we would be pure, you all. Pure. Not in and of ourselves, but all through Christ. Go to Psalm chapter 40. Psalm 40, verse 11 through 17. This part of this um, psalm is more of the crying out. He says, Lord, don't hold back your tender mercies from me. Let your unfailing love and faithfulness always protect me. For troubles surround me, too many to come. My sins pile up so high, I can't see my way out. They outnumber the hairs on my head. I love this line. I have lost all courage. Can you say you love that line? Yeah, because there's been many days I've been there. One of my one things that challenges me the most in my Christian walk is discouragement. It's so easy to get discouraged, and if I get discouraged, I go down. <laughs> As any of you would. You know what it's like to be discouraged? Please, Lord, rescue me. Come quickly, Lord, and help me. May those who try to destroy me be humiliated and put to shame. May those who take delight in my trouble be turned back in disgrace. Let them be horrified by their shame, for they said, Ah, we've got him now. But many, but may all who search for you be filled with joy and gladness in you. May those who love your salvation repeatedly shout, The Lord is great. As for me, since I am poor and needy, let the Lord keep me in his thoughts. You are my helper and my savior. Oh my God, do not delay. This is King David. This is a man after God's own heart. He remembers his God. He's facing another crisis in his life. And instead of allowing the crisis to overwhelm him, he's reflecting on who God is. He knows his frailness. He's not puffing himself up. No, he's exalting his God. And that's the key, you all. It's not to walk in arrogance or pride. It's to walk in humility. And that's why I tell you what encouragement can you get from the book of Psalms? Is it encourages you to look up. These psalmists are being real with the poetry and the songs that they are writing. Life is hard. I'm discouraged. I'm so depressed. I'm anxious. My mind is a mess. But God, remember me. What a beautiful prayer. Keep me in your thoughts, God. Go to Proverbs. This is where we're ending. Chapter 10. Two verses. May that be a beautiful prayer for you to walk away with today. God, remember me in your thoughts. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 13 through 14. The book of wisdom. And oh, how we need wisdom. Chapter 10, verse 13 and 14. Wise words come from the lips of people with understanding. But those lacking sense will be beaten with a rod. Mm -hmm. 
Wise people treasure knowledge, but the babbling of fool of a fool invites disaster. Wise words come from the lips of people with understanding, but those lacking sense will be beaten with a rod. They will face discipline. And wise people treasure knowledge. Are you treasuring knowledge today? Because you ought to. If not, you're going to end up just being a babbling fool and disaster will approach you. Sin will master you. That's why you cannot remain ignorant. That's why you must gain wisdom, you all. This life is amazing. This life is what it's about, you all. To glorify our God in the midst of everyday life. One of my favorite things to pray is the word when the word of God says that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And that's my hope every day. That even though it's getting crazier and darker and things may seem out of control and life circumstances have battered up against me, that has always been my hope. That God, your word says, I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And that is my hope each day. And that's why I come to encourage you all that you would say to God and remind him of his promises and pray that he would remember you in his thoughts. Remember, his ways are not our ways. He loves us, you all. I'm going to close this with this last song. And then I'll close this in prayer. I'm the 